0: Welcome to Worldview, a foreign affairs podcast from the Irish Times. I'm David McKechnie. For almost a year, countries around the world have been fighting the coronavirus pandemic with unprecedented restrictions on businesses and citizens, as well as a huge medical and scientific effort. When the news arrived late last year that effective vaccines had been produced in record time, it posed an enormous new dilemma how to go about rolling out those vaccines to the world's population in an effective and timely manner. In Europe, the early effort has been mixed, with some countries forging ahead and others struggling to get their programmes off the ground. With vaccines key to beating the virus and returning life to normal, governments across the EU, including Ireland's, are under fierce pressure to keep up with their peers. I'm joined on the line by Europe correspondent Naomi O'Leary to look at how Europe is doing with procuring vaccines and rolling them out and how and why some countries are doing better than others. Thanks for joining us, Naomi. To start, maybe you could remind us how the vaccine programme in the EU works, how the block has procured its vaccines and how they're distributed.
1: Sure. So essentially, um, early on, the EU agreed that the bloc would jointly start pushing money out to pharmaceutical companies. This was at a point when we didn't know whether there could be a vaccine, um, for COVID-19. And so what they decided to do was um, give funding to a bunch of different candidates based on different technology um, to help them to speed up development, to really pour the resources resources into holding the trials for them and developing them as quick as possible. In return for that agreement then, the companies that got that support agreed that they would give a certain amount of doses to the EU like as a priority. Um so they went for a kind of basket of different options not really knowing which one would work out. And then as different candidate vaccines began to have more results, um there were some additional purchases made then. Um and then what happens is that each EU country has the opportunity to get vaccines in proportion to the size of their population as it makes up um in the EU. So for example, the EU now has 600 million doses of the BioNTech Pfizer vaccine, which was the first one to start to be rolled out in the EU. Um, and then Ireland, for example, would get the proportion of that 600 million in uh, in proportion to the size of its population, which is about kind of 1% of the EU's overall pop- population. And so um, the number of vaccines that the EU has at this point um, are... 600 million of that BioNTech Pfizer vaccine and of those 275 million doses are set to arrive by uh, the end of June this year. Then that's of a, a total production that the company is, is ma- hopes to make of 2 billion this year. Then Moderna is the second vaccine to have gotten uh, approval for the EU. Um, through the European Medicines Agency. And of that, there's 160 million doses, and they're all due to be delivered by the end of the year. And again, Ireland will have access to the same percentage of those 160 million as its population represents in the overall EU. Um, and then there's a number of other ones which are haven't yet been approved. So the AstraZeneca vaccine has applied for approval Uh, to be used in the EU by the European Medicines Agency. It applied for that on January 12th, so just earlier this week. And it's expected to be given approval by the end of the month, all going well. And then next, it's been said by an MEP yesterday that Johnson & Johnson, which is another vaccine for for which the EU has kind of booked 400 million doses, it's expected to apply for approval uh, next month, in February. Um, And then there's a couple of other candidates which are a little bit uh, further down the road um there's one called Curevac which uh, the EU has an, an additional 405 million vo- doses and it's said that if it's not in a position to apply for approval uh, by the end of the spring then instead it will switch its production efforts to making the BioNTech vaccine instead um so the Pfizer one that's already you know being rolled out and then finally there's a Sanofi vaccine of which the EU has 300 million doses if it wants, but that one has been delayed. So we don't really know what stage that one's at. The EU is also negotiating with another company called Novavax for 200 million doses. So all in all, there's quite a lot, <laughs> quite a lot of doses. Um, Some, um, most of these are two dose vaccines, but not all of them. Um, but if we have Pfizer, AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson, Moderna, that should be enough to vaccinate all of the EU uh, population and have some left over as well.
0: Now, some EU countries have struggled to keep pace so far with some non-EU uh, countries such as uh, the UK and Israel. Is that because um, of that basket approach and, and the relatively small initial order for the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, uh, which, was, which was the first one approved, or are there other factors?
1: There are basically three uh, layers of kind of decision-making and organisation that decide the speed at which vaccines actually start getting given to people. Um, So one uh, deciding factor is the procurement process that the European Commission was in charge of. The second layer is the approval process. The vaccines have to get approval from the European Medicines Agency, um, which will certify whether they're happy, that they're safe, um, and that they can be given to people in the EU. And then the third and pretty crucial factor is national organisation. So we've seen a massive difference in the rate of vaccination of different member states. So, for example, Denmark is administering vaccines at uh, 29 times the rate of Belgium, even even though these Pfizer vaccines are actually made in Belgium. They're made in the town of Pours. And there's different reasons for delays in each level. Uh, The basket approach of, you know, it's like buying several lottery tickets rather than one. Um, So, you know, you have more chances that you'll have at least some vaccines that work. Um, But one of the criticisms of the EU is, uh, the commission is that it didn't act as quickly as it could have to nail down as many Pfizer doses as possible as soon as it was clear that that was going to be the first vaccine um, that would be viable. And part of the reason for that is according to the MEP, Peter Lees, for one, the EU insisted on greater liability protections. So the Pfizer company accepted more liability if anything went wrong with the doses. And the second reason is they negotiated for a cheaper price. Um, Israel, for example, paid two to three times the price that the EU paid for those doses. And then um, the third reason is that a lot of EU countries weren't actually that keen on Pfizer. And the reason is that the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine is based on quite an, a new, innovative technology that some people weren't that sure of. It wasn't something that had been, you know, tried and tested and was a well-known entity from the past. It was a new thing. Um, the second thing is that it's an it's a nightmare to roll out logistically because this vaccine has to be kept at minus 70 degrees celsius and that requires special freezers and a special logistics chain uh, and everything and for some countries the smarter choice was to try and wait for the astrazeneca vaccine which is uh, much easier to roll out doesn't need to be frozen um, it can just be kept in the fridge, and it's much much cheaper. So, where whereas the Pfizer Bio- BioNTech vaccine costs the EU about at uh, fifteen euro fifty per dose, AstraZeneca is only two fifty a dose. Um, so not every EU country was demanding that the EU should go all out and buy as much as of that um vaccine as possible. Um, so what we've seen now is there's a bit of a gap. Um, not all of the EU countries took all of the BioNTech va- Pfizer vaccine that they could have. And Germany has actually and Denmark have actually um, taken up some of the slack there. They're, they've asked for the doses that other countries turned down, essentially.
0: Uh, you mentioned the approval process uh, and, and countries relying on the European Medicines Agency to approve the vaccines. Could countries have gone their own way instead and, and given emergency approval uh, to some of those vaccines as the UK did, for instance?
1: Yeah, technically they could have, um, that you could go for a national emergency marketing approval. Um, It's more of a slapdash process. And part of the argument for going through the European Medicines Agency and going down the normal route was partly to inspire public faith in the vaccines. The EU, particularly some EU countries like France, have a very high percentage of scepticism about vaccines in their population. So there was an argument among politicians that we needed to do this rigorously well. You know, we needed to do it according to the normal channels. Um, And could the EMA have been faster? Well, we know it could have because they moved up their approval times. So initially, for example, a, a meeting was to be held on the Pfizer vaccine before Christmas, and they moved it up by about eight days and ended up, coming out with a quicker approval than they otherwise would have. And that's a reflection that, you know, it was possible to speed up the process. And, you know, it may be linked to the political pressure on them to do that. Then there are other other elements, though. So the situation in the likes of the UK or, say, Israel, is not directly comparable to that in the EU. Uh, so just as an example, in Israel... For one, they paid many times over the price for Pfizer. The other thing is that they agreed a special deal with Pfizer that um, their population would essentially be a kind of an experiment for the company. So they would roll out the vaccines, and they and the Israeli state would share the information from the vaccine program with the company. So they they use it as part of their development process. And in return, Israel gets many, many vaccines earlier than other people. And that's why they've been able to vaccinate a very, very impressive 22% of their population already, which, you know, for comparison, the best performing EU is Denmark, which is on just over 2% of its population.
0: Germany has been accused of going uh, rogue and ordering uh, additional Pfizer doses outside the the joint procurement process. And, And this week, European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen insisted that no member state was allowed to procure vaccines outside that agreement. What do we know of the German deal? Is that going ahead and has it caused disquiet in any way or any kind of split?
1: It's caused a tremendous amount of bad blood and controversy. Um, So as far as we know, Germany early on did have direct talks with Pfizer to buy an additional 30 million doses from the company. Now, the European Commission insists that this is all in the past and it's irrelevant to talk about it because since then, the number of doses uh, dedicated to the overall EU has gone from 300 million to 600 million, so there's plenty of doses for everyone. Um, This possibly reflected Germany's preference to have more Pfizer doses while other countries were more circumspect about whether they actually wanted this vaccine or not. Um, As I mentioned, Germany has also taken up the slack not not every EU country did uh, take up the opportunity to get the maximum Pfizer doses that they could have so Germany has kind of um, has chosen to kind of pick up that slack and get extra doses that way Um, so yeah it's caused an enormous amount of bad blood and it is technically against what the EU had agreed the EU agreed that they wouldn't do these bilateral deals with the pharmaceutical companies everyone would negotiate together And it is hard to imagine that if every EU country, all of the 27 had separate negotiations with the pharmaceutical companies, that especially the likes of small countries like Ireland would have come out better because you just simply, you know, you don't have the clout to demand that you get priority (laughs) unless you're going to pay many, many, many times over the odds. So it was probably it was almost undoubtedly better for small and medium-sized countries in the EU, particularly ones with less ones, to negotiate collectively. But larger countries, the likes of Germany, perhaps France, they possibly could have done better if they went out on their own. But definitely collectively and the majority of the EU will have done better in this joint negotiation because you simply have more clout, more money.
0: Now, I know some MPs have expressed frustration at the procurement process and said they haven't had enough information on the deals the EU signed with these companies and and such as pricing and timing of deliveries and and other information. Is any of that uh, going to become available?
1: Yeah. So there is a lot of demand from the European Parliament to have greater scrutiny over this process. The pharmaceutical companies, they don't want customers to look over the shoulder of another customer and find out that they're getting a better deal and demand cheaper prices and so on themselves. Um, So they're keen for these contracts to be confidential. Um, One pharmaceutical company has agreed for the contract to be scrutinized. And just yesterday, we had um, a press conference from the CEO of Pfizer, Albert Bourla, and he said that, he understands that this has become a massively sensitive issue in the EU and therefore they're looking to get a copy of the contract in front of MEPs to scrutinise. Um, they might redact parts of it. That's what it sounded like to me anyway. Um, there might be some market-sensitive information that they they still won't be comfortable putting out. But they said he said that they're going to try and uh, allow some kind of scrutiny.
0: Now, one of the questions that, that's arisen uh, in recent uh, weeks has been uh, how to administer vaccines, has there been any uh, centralized advice uh, in europe about how to do that such as such as should you give a, a first dose to more people first and then administer the second one later on uh, or is that being left to individual countries to decide
1: one of the things that the commission advised was countries to have a plan one way or another so to make a plan uh, back in december or before as to, for example, what sections of the population would get it first, because different countries make different decisions. Sometimes it's health workers first. For many, it's the the people living in elderly homes and staff. But there are different choices that can be made. Um, It's not up to the Commission to decide that. It's very much in the hands of national governments. Uh, Health is one of those areas which is solely a national competence, uh, a national power. So it's very much up to national governments to put in their systems. And we are seeing a fair bit of variation in terms of how it's being rolled out. Uh, One thing that the European Medicines Agency has officially approved as a practice is the use of the Pfizer vials to do six doses rather than five. So the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine um, is given out in these vials, which technically, you know, say they can be used for five. But if you use the right syringe, um, a slightly smaller syringe that doesn't let any of the, um, the 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 liquid itself go to waste, you can actually get six doses out of that. And that's been officially sort of approved by the EMA as a tactic um, that countries can use. So they can increase the number of doses they have by 20%.
0: Now it might be a little early for this, but has there been any debate yet on on the ethics of vaccines and whether those who are vaccinated uh, might might enjoy more freedom of movement uh, in the summer, perhaps, or whether they might enjoy other privileges such as looser restrictions or the or the like?
1: Already, this is an issue. It became an issue very early on, partly because there's a great demand from the public to return to normal life, and people who have been vaccinated. People hope for the vaccine as a way out of the situation, to regain freedoms, to find a way outside of restrictions. Um, A reflection of this is that the Greek prime minister uh, has called for a vaccine passport to be introduced, an EU-wide vaccine passport that would allow people who've had the vaccine to travel internationally. There are a number of issues with this, though. Um, So just to pick one. There's already an international vaccine passport. There's the yellow card or cartridge of the World Health Organization. That exists already as a system, so it doesn't need necessarily need to be invented again. Um, another issue is that we do not know yet whether people who have had the vaccine can still transmit the virus to others. Um, I was listening to the Pfizer CEO speaking about this yesterday, and he said the, the evidence so far is, isn't conclusive, but we should know in February. And that's really crucial because... That once you have, it means that once you have a vaccine, you'll be protected yourself. But we don't yet know if that stops you from spreading the virus to others. Um, so that's something we still have to find out, and that will be very crucial um, in terms of whether you know getting a vaccine is a kind of a, a license to do what you want. Um, there are other issues as well um, because if you allow greater freedoms, if you make, if you kind of institutionalize greater freedoms for people who have had the vaccine. That does create an inequality. Not everybody will be able to have this vaccine. You know, some people are very vulnerable and might not, um, you know, they could have uh, health conditions that don't allow them to have this vaccine. It's not been approved for children. It's not been approved for the under-16s. It will also, you know, will be given to certain members um, of the public long, long after uh, others. So health workers will get it first and people who are older and more vulnerable. But, you know, younger people won't get it for a very long time. That said, um, I'm sure that this is an issue that isn't going anywhere, partly because of the demand uh, from businesses um, to reopen economy. We saw this last year. There was a huge push to reopen international travel in Europe for the summer because so many countries um, include tourism as a massive part of their economy. And this is no doubt linked to why it's the Greek prime minister who's calling for these vaccine passports, because it's massively important for his country that tourists come again. Um, so I'm sure this is a debate that isn't going anywhere.
0: And finally, Naomi, if, if all the vaccines you outlined earlier uh, come on stream this year uh, in the EU, there'll be a huge surplus, of course. What will happen to that surplus?
1: The suggestion for the surplus, which we will uh, get, um, if you know, unless something goes terribly wrong, we will have vaccines to spare. Um, and we'll probably have an excess of vaccines sitting in fridges because the... Bottleneck may arise in the ability of states to give them out quickly, you know, because the the rate at which the vaccines are being produced is really increasing exponentially because they're they're opening new factories, you know, they're they're really ramping up production and more and more vaccines are coming on stream. So there's a big question about whether states are doing the same, whether they're really ramping up in proportion. Um, But the leftover vaccines will. um, The Commission has suggested that member states. Can either sell them or donate them uh, to less fortunate countries, and this highlights a huge inequality in the situation, which is that Europe, um, for all that we are, you know, arguing about, you know, the matter of months and difference in time of getting, or weeks in some cases, in, in terms of the arrival of vaccines, we are really, really um, at the front of the queue globally for these vaccines. I mean, there, it's we've block booked an enormous percentage of the initial production. And there will be less rich countries will be waiting a lot longer, even very vulnerable people in less rich countries, even the likes of frontline health workers. And so the World Health Organization has actually appealed for rich countries um, like the EU, like the US, like the UK, not to do this, to release some of the... Um, some of the vaccines from that production line, and allow them to go to, for example, you know, doctors in Zambia or any other part of the world where they don't have the ability to demand such priority um, access to these vaccines. So they've asked that n- the entire population not be vaccinated yet in the EU. People who are less at risk to allow others, health workers or those who are very vulnerable in other countries to get access first. Um, but in this particular case, um, there is almost no public ap- appetite for that um, or among politicians.
0: Naomi O'Leary in Brussels, thank you for joining us. That's all we have time for today. Thanks to Naomi O'Leary and producer Declan Conlon. And thank you for listening.